Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello there and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is on special assignment today, so it is just moi, but we'll be able to handle this because we've got a great guest we're going to be talking to. Uh, lots of folks diagnosed with Parkinson's, uh, a diagnosis that nobody wants, that no caregiver wants to have for their care recipient, and yet there's very little outside of the field of Parkinson's disease that people truly understand, and so we're delighted to welcome John Lear, CEO of the Parkinson's Foundation. He heads that foundation as president and chief executive officer. Nearly three decades of nonprofit fundraising and management experience. John has a strong focus in the voluntary healthcare and medical research sectors. He played a key role in merging two legacy Parkinson's organizations into the Parkinson's Foundation in 2017. Uh, the organization has a four-star rating from Charity Navigator. And if you don't know, that's a really good thing a platinum seal of transparency from GuideStar, and it's been named to the 2020 list of best places to work by the nonprofit Times, and that's really pretty cool. John Lear, welcome to Caregiver SOS on Air. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Ron. And for those who don't know, just first, let's do the 411 on Parkinson's disease. What sure. is it? So, um, so Parkinson's is a neurodegenerative disease. Um, that uh, progresses over time, and uh, you know it. it uh, essentially, what happens is with a, uh, for a person with Parkinson's, the dopamine neurons in their brain start to die off, um, and that has grave consequences for movement. Uh, primarily, that's the first thing you notice. Um, but then it tends to affect all areas of the body, including the GI tract. Uh, you know, uh, motions. Um, you know, sleep sensory it's a full body experience um, that comes on and progresses over you know over a period of time and it is a disease for which there is no magic bullet there's no pill you can take that cures it exactly so you know james parkinson's the uh, english doctor named this disease more than 200 years ago wow um, it's been around with us since antiquity um, and uh, we've made progress in understanding the disease. We have some medications that can help people with the disease, but the truth is um, there's no cure for it, and um, there's really no great way to roll it back once, once you uh, are diagnosed with it. And, and is it progressive? Yeah, it is progressive. So, you know, what we say about Parkinson's is that no two people have the same course of disease. Um, the vast majority of people are diagnosed later in life, uh, in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. There is a relatively small number of individuals who are diagnosed with what we call young onset PD. Um, that can happen in, is, you know, we've seen people who are in their late teens, early 20s. Um, most people know Michael J. Fox. He's, he's unusual in the sense that he has young onset PD. He was diagnosed, I think, at around 29 years old. Right. Um, but that's, that's a relatively small percentage of the folks who get Parkinson's. It's usually people who are uh, later in life. And, and you have to salute uh, him because he's been so public about his struggles and so public in 
uh, asking people to become informed and asking for support for research. Exactly. No, he uh, he really put a, a new face on the disease. I know a lot of people remember Muhammad Ali. Um, Michael J. Fox has really opened up the disease to you know millions and millions of people and uh, really increased awareness about a, a disease that affects a million Americans and 10 million people worldwide. Is it genetic? If your dad had it, your mom had it, you're going to get it. And does it affect more men than women? Yeah, great questions. Um, so um, there is a genetic component to it. Right now, we say about 15% of people with Parkinson's have a direct genetic link. Um, there is a familial component. So if you have members of your family who have Parkinson's, um, there's probably a greater likelihood that you may. It doesn't mean you will. Um, but there are really three, three causes that we say. So genetics is one cause. Environmental factors are another cause. And just the natural aging process um, you know, you lose dopamine neurons um, over the course of your life. And so, so it's not surprising that people are, are diagnosed with it later in life, you know, after they've had a full lifetime. Um, more men than women are diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, you know, it's, let's say, about 55% more men than, than to 45% women. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's some uh, interesting scientific questions around why men more than women get Parkinson's and things that we're exploring. You've just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, our co-host, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment today. We're talking with John Lear, CEO of the Parkinson's Foundation, and we're talking about Parkinson's disease, something that every caregiver ought to be aware of. And even if their care uh, uh, receiver doesn't have Parkinson's, uh, you have to be aware that it can later in life uh, develop. And and John, uh, is early diagnosis a blessing? The earlier you diagnose it, the better, so that if Uh, you're concerned if you have a suspicion, if you notice that uh, maybe your uh, hands and arms are shaking a little bit, should you go to the doctor? Yeah, uh, we very strongly believe that early diagnosis, uh, the the sooner you have a diagnosis of Parkinson's, so if you're starting to suspect that something is wrong, uh, we really encourage you to go see a neurologist, specifically what we call a movement, movement disorder specialist, somebody who has extra training in these types of diseases. Um, to get, you know, to get diagnosed. Um, The sooner you understand that you have Parkinson's, the better, um, because there are things you can do, primarily exercise, being as physically active as you possibly can. Now, we always encourage people to be physically active, but in the case of Parkinson's, uh, it's really important. Um, You can help uh, you know, reduce some of the some of the symptoms that come, you know, with Parkinson's, um, and it can greatly increase your strength, your ability to move. So, uh, the sooner you get on an exercise regimen, the better off you're going to be. And for those who are concerned, uh, do you start with your PCP, primary yeah, you care know, physician? Yeah, I think of course you should go to the doctor you trust and have a good relationship, somebody who knows you well. Um, often, what they're going to do is refer you to a neurologist um, or to a movement disorder specialist. Like I said, somebody with extra training. Um, go to the doctor you think you know best, and uh, if you if that person is a neurologist, you know they're gonna they're gonna have more information for you probably than you know a, a primary care physician who may not see as many people with Parkinson's. And for those who are concerned about Parkinson's. Uh, how much help can the uh, Parkinson Foundation provide? What, what are the resources you offer? See, what we hear all the time from people with Parkinson's uh, is that, you know, I got my diagnosis, uh, I was given a prescription, and I was kind of sent on my way. Yeah, now uh, what do I do? <laughs> right, exactly. So what we hear is that from so many people, 
uh, they kind of were at sea for a little while and then somebody told them about or they found their way to the Parkinson's Foundation and suddenly a whole world opened up to them of resources and information and individuals who are willing, you know, resources and information and then individuals who are willing to help them. So one of the things that we have is our helpline, our Parkinson's helpline. Uh, it's toll free. It's open from uh, business hours in the United States, uh, East Coast business hours. We go to six, you know, six p.m. in Central Time. It's eight hundred four PD info. Eight hundred four PD info. And what you'll find on the end of that call is a very caring individual with a social work, nursing physical therapy, some type of background where they have expertise in Parkinson's, and they'll answer any question that you have. Uh, and if they can't answer a question, they'll find somebody who can't. Um, so that's a resource that's available. So we, we have so much available to people with Parkinson's, uh, and we really encourage you to come to our website, parkinson.org. Um, if you're concerned about having a diagnosis with Parkinson's, if you have a diagnosis with Parkinson's, or you're caring for somebody who has a diagnosis for Parkinson's. And that phone number again for people, 800, numeral four, P is in Peter, D is in David, info. Correct. And no salesman will call. No salesman will call. You'll get (laughs) really, really wonderful people on the other end of that phone. What attracted you to this field? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I was, uh, I've been in the disease specific space my whole life. I worked for many years at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I saw, you know, if people know what cystic fibrosis is, it's a lung disease that, you know, was primarily a pediatric disease. I saw how they, um, you know, invested in basic science, uh, in the underlying causes and basic biology of the disease, and then were able to take that knowledge and develop therapies that not only control the symptoms of cystic fibrosis, but ultimately led to breakthrough medications that are allowing people to live much longer, fuller lives. I believe that that is possible in the Parkinson's space as well. I think, you know, we have to understand the disease and how it affects people. And then I think that will open up pathways to new and better therapies. I got involved in Parkinson's, um, you know, because of my professional background. But when I was a child, I had a family friend uh, who had Parkinson's, you know, she was, um, you know, someone of my grandmother's age, but, uh, and then her, her, her daughter was her care partner. And so I saw firsthand, you know, what living with Parkinson's is all about and, uh, you know, how it can affect families. And I saw a number in the background material that uh, Amy provided to us, 60,000 people diagnosed every year with Parkinson's in the U.S. That's a big number. That is a big number. And in fact, uh, there's uh, another study coming uh, soon that's going to show that that number is probably even more than 60,000, probably 70 or 80,000 individuals each year. Um, that's a that's a huge number of people who are learning about a diagnosis that can change their life. Um, so we uh, implemented a, a new program a couple of years ago called our newly diagnosed initiative, um, which is, you know, provides uh, a whole series of things, steps, actions that people can take if they've just been newly diagnosed, how to get onto the right path um, to make sure that, you know, they're living well, they're having the best life they possibly can, and uh, they're sticking to a healthcare regimen that's going to benefit them. Talk to me a little bit, because this program provides help and information for caregivers as well. What should a caregiver know uh, with a newly diagnosed patient with Parkinson's, and how can they be helpful? Yeah, so, you know, Parkinson's is a disease that uh, is ultimately, always ultimately going to require the help of others, um, whether that's a spouse, a partner, a child, a friend, a neighbor, 
Um, living with Parkinson's is a really challenging disease. And so we want people to have a care partner, primary care partner if possible, um, and also a network of other, other individuals who can help them uh, as, as the disease progresses. Um, care partners, I'd say the, the most important thing for care partners to know is um, they're essential, um, that uh, they have to take care of themselves. Um, you're only able to provide care if you are, you know, able to take care of yourself, right? So, you know, again, a disease that tends to affect people later in life. Um, if you are the care partner and you're not doing well, um, the, the, both of you are going to suffer. So we need to make sure that people understand, um, you know, if they're in a care partner role, self-care is really important. Um, you're only going to be as good as, as you are physically and mentally. Well, the tragedy is many caregivers predecease their care recipient because they don't do what you're suggesting. Uh, They let themselves go while they care for uh, that individual. Yeah, that's true. You know, the other thing too is, you know, I'll just talk about my own personal experience. My mother um, died about 10 years before my father. My mother had always been more of the care uh, giver, care partner, um, more to my father. Um, And then, you know, later in life, the roles reversed. So my father found himself in a position to take care of my mother. I think that happens a lot. Um, you know, roles reverse. And so flexibility, openness, um, you know, get as many resources you possibly can from the Parkinson's Foundation, from support groups, from your healthcare providers, uh, so that you're in the best position to help uh, your loved one. More on Parkinson's in just a moment. If you've just joined us, this is Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. We're talking with John Lear, CEO of the Parkinson's Foundation. More with John in just a minute. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to be with you. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment today, but we press on. John Lear is with us, CEO of the Parkinson's Foundation, and we're having a, a really important conversation about Parkinson's disease, about what caregivers can do to help, and what those who are newly diagnosed can do to get the kind of support, information, and knowledge they need. And earlier, John, you had mentioned Michael J. Fox. Uh, when you think of Parkinson's now, you think of Michael J. Fox. Like with Alzheimer's, you often think of the late President Ronald Reagan because he put a face on Alzheimer's disease. Uh, do you all at the foundation work with Mr. Fox? Uh, we do. Uh, so there's the Michael J. Fox uh, Foundation. Uh, we're the Parkinson's Foundation. We uh, have our, our two national offices are separated about three blocks here in New York. Um, we, uh, we collaborate with them a great deal. We uh, co-host a Capitol Hill uh, Day, a policy forum. Uh, we um, we uh, work on each other's research projects. We've co-funded, we've co-sponsored. Uh, so we do a lot of work together. Um, we, uh, we differentiate ourselves a little bit from Michael J. Fox. We, uh, Michael J. Fox has been, the foundation has been focused really on drug discovery and development. 
Um, whereas we've been more focused on uh, basic research, uh, ensuring that people get the very best care they can. And then a huge component uh, focused on educating both patients, care partners, and then pro- uh, healthcare providers. What about genetic screening? You, you'd mentioned that there is a genetic link in, in a number of cases of Parkinson's. Is there a, a gene or a group of genes that could be identified? Yeah, so that's, a, that's an excellent question, Ron. So uh, 20 years ago, most people did not think that Parkinson's was a genetic disease, despite lots of evidence that showed that it ran in families. Um, within the last 20 years, we now know that there's at least 15% of the population that have a genetically determined form of Parkinson's. Um, there are about seven key genetic mutations, and uh, we are currently running a program called PD Generation, where we provide free testing and counseling to individuals who are diagnosed with Parkinson's so that they can learn whether they have one of those seven genes uh, that are implicated in a Parkinson's diagnosis. There are two in particular uh, that people have heard of, LERC2 and GBA. I won't go into the specifics of them, but um, they tend to be more prominent. And what's interesting is um, now there are a number of pharma, uh, pharma pharma companies and biotech companies that are directing, uh, developing therapies that are targeting those mutations. So our PD generation is all about identifying as many people as we possibly can with those mutations so that if clinical trials come about um, to advance new therapies, we'll have the people that recruit for those clinical trials. Um, it's kind of an exciting time because I think you know, one of, the, one of the challenges in Parkinson's is there has not been what we call biomarkers. Like in insulin, you know, in diabetes, you know, insulin is the main thing. So you can sort of gauge whether your insulin is too high or too low. There's not something as simple like that in Parkinson's, but genetics does now offer an opportunity to say, okay, if you have this gene, you might have this course of disease. If you have that gene, you might have that course of a disease. And it also allows us to target therapies at those genetic mutations. In breast cancer, you have the BRCA gene. Correct. Exactly. Very similar sort of uh, uh, scenario in Parkinson's disease. As you take a look at uh, building knowledge and information uh, across the country, uh, are you making inroads? Are uh, primary care physicians, neurologists, and others becoming more aware and more involved in Parkinson's? Yeah, you know, I think as the population of the United States ages, Uh, Diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and MS that tend to affect people later in life are becoming more prominent, more prevalent. Um, You know, so I think uh, the healthcare community is much more attuned to those diseases than they may have been in the past. Um, We are doing our best to sort of raise um, you know, let's, let's get away from the stigma of these diseases. Let's bring them out into the open. By, by bringing them out into the open, we can talk about them. We can figure out, you know, what we can do about them and we can help solve for them. Um, we're very proud of what we call our clinical, our clinical care network. So in the United States, we have 33 what we call centers of excellence. Um, these are the very best places for Parkinson's care. There are others that aren't in the network, but uh, 33 centers of excellence in places like Harvard University, Johns Hopkins, you can imagine the places that we have. They're providing expert care, but they're also uh, carrying information throughout their their healthcare networks to people that we may not have reached before. Um, We also have, you know, additional 14 centers worldwide in places as far as Singapore and Taiwan and uh, Israel, uh, where we call call those centers of excellence as well. So we're making inroads not only here in the United States and in Canada, but globally to get the message out about how to care for yourself with Parkinson's. Is Parkinson's an equal opportunity disease, whether you be Anglo, African-American, Asian? 
Yeah, we um, we definitely, you know, we see Parkinson's all over the world. Um, you know, it tends to be in the United States. There's a there's a slight, uh, slightly more prevalence among people who are, uh, you know, Caucasian uh, than African-American. Um, that could be due to underdiagnosis. So we're, we're still exploring that. Um, but, you know, you'll see uh, Parkinson's in Asia, Parkinson's in, in India, Parkinson's in Europe, Africa, South America. Uh, it's a disease that finds its way wherever it goes. And for those who, who have it, uh, how effective now are the medications uh, to control uh, body movements? So the big breakthrough was what we call levodopa carbidopa. Um, Can you say that again? Yeah, I know. <laughs> levodopa carbidopa, right? Two things at the same time. Essentially what that, what that is, is you know, so as I mentioned at the top, um, with people with Parkinson's, they lose dopamine neurons in their brain. And so carbidopa, levodopa, the two, the two drugs that people take really in combination are dopamine replacement therapy, right? So it's kind of like you're not getting enough, your body's not producing enough, so you take these drugs uh, to restore dopamine function. Um, it helps you with your motor symptoms. Sometimes you'll be, see people who have what we call dyskinesia. Michael J. Fox has it uh, pretty severely. That's really more a result of his medication than the disease itself, um, what, uh, what, what those drugs do is they rev up your system so that you can be, that you can move without those drugs. Um, people tend to w- go into what we call off times where their movement is sluggish. They're, they're rigid. Their mo- their movement is really quite limited. So, uh, dopamine replacement therapy allows them to move and be much more active. It's a really, it's a breakthrough drug that occurred, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So we need new generations of drugs to replace that, to, to improve upon that. And is that drug affordable? Yeah, you know, affordability of drugs is, uh, is always a challenge. Um, it is covered. Uh, 90% plus of people with Parkinson's are on Medicare. Um, so they have access to Medicare Part D. Um, so it is a drug that people can readily uh, get access to. I want you to say that again. 90% of people with Parkinson's are on Medicare. Correct. So those are people 65 and over, which reinforces uh, your comment that it's a disease later in life. That's exactly right. And is there an age uh, beyond which, if you haven't got it yet, I'm asking for myself, (laughs) if you haven't got it yet, I'm 79, are the odds you won't? Well, I would, I would I'm say looking for a yes here, John. Uh, yeah, I think you're in the clear, Ron, but I, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, so I always want you to check with your physician, but you, you look like you're, you're doing quite well. well thank you. <laughs> As you think about uh, the impact on society, uh, what, what's the cost that we're talking about? So people uh, have an understanding of the impact of Parkinson's. So we did a study a couple of years ago that showed all in the cost both direct and indirect costs, you know, direct medical costs, uh, loss of jobs, et cetera. The direct, the, the, the cost, the total cost of Parkinson's is $52 billion a year. Um, so $52 billion a year with a a B. Yeah. So it's a, it's a huge cost, uh, you know, both in direct medical expenses. Um, but it's also a huge cost in terms of lost wages, lost jobs, the need for long-term care, um, it's a disease that really uh, it, it affects people physically, emotionally, and financially, unfortunately. And the other part of this is uh, the development of dementia uh, uh, connected to Parkinson's disease in some patients. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is a thing that's uh, discussed a lot in the Parkinson's world. So Parkinson's typically starts out 
as a movement disorder, right? Where you start to see the, you know, the resting tremor, rigidity, slowness of, of movement. Um, for some people, a fairly large percentage of people in the Parkinson's community, they will eventually develop dementia. Um, it can, it can uh, come on quickly. It can come on later. It depends on, you know, the type of Parkinson's that you have, right? There's lots of different factors. Uh, but unfortunately, dementia is a component of Parkinson's disease. You just said something that caught my ear. The type of Parkinson's you have. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, it's like we were saying earlier, there are different genes. Uh, like, uh, like I was saying, um, the two genetic uh, diseases that are uh, mutations that we talk about a lot in Parkinson's, LERC2 and GBA. So um, if you have LERC2, the uh, motor symptoms are prevalent. Um, the, uh, uh, the, um, the, the cognitive issues seem to be less so. In GBA, it's the reverse. The cognitive issues tend to be um, more prominent. And so, um, and as I said at the top, no two individuals have the same course of disease. You know, some people um, can develop Parkinson's and live with it and be, um, not have any cognitive issues, not have any dementia issues. Um, some people will get dementia and have cognitive issues, but maybe their, their physical aspects will not be as affected. You know, so it's, it, it's, 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 not, it's not a plug and play. It's, it's very complex disease and affects people very differently. John Lear, thank you. It was great talking with you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciated it, too. Well, you take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. With Superior Health Plan, I know my family's covered. Superior offers Medicaid and CHIP plans, a large provider network, and extra benefits like vision, dental, and programs for pregnant and new moms. Plus, easy ways for us to get the care we need, including medical advice anytime with telehealth. Quality care with valuable benefits at no cost. It's all part of my plan. Visit superiorhealthplan.com discover to learn more today. Restrictions and limitations may apply.